0: folks, this is Ricky Warwick from Thin Lizzy, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks.
1: Hi, this is Captain Sig Hansen from The Deadliest Catch, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 101, we start a new century of podcasts in the number range. Uh, We wanted to kick it off with a bang, so we've got uh, three pretty cool guests this time around. We have got from Alice Cooper, original drummer through the... uh, 1974 neil smith uh neil played on billion dollar baby schools out killer all the uh really really classic alice cooper stuff he's actually uh from akron ohio originally and uh as you may be aware alice cooper the band was just uh inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame so fresh off his hall of fame induction we've got neil smith also thin lizzie vocalist ricky warwick For those of you who haven't followed Thin Lizzy, over the years they have gone through a series of different lineups since original uh, vocalist and bassist Phil Lennett died back in uh, around 1986, I believe. Uh, For quite a while, John Sykes, who was the guitarist of Whitesnake, took over vocal and uh, guitar duties for the band. But uh, in the most current incarnation, uh, Ricky Warwick, who sang with bands like The Almighty, uh, as well as Circus Diablo, is taking over on the vocal duties as well as guitarist Vivian Campbell of uh, Def Leppard, still in Def Leppard, also played with Dio for a many number of years. So he's also in Thin Lizzy. So we talked to Ricky Warwick and also joining us. A uh, very special interview uh, may not be of interest to you if you were only into the show for music. Uh, had a chance to interview from the sh- television show from the Discovery Channel, The Deadliest Catch, Captain Sig Hansen. Uh, the uh, deadliest catch. Some of the stars will be coming into Pittsburgh on May seventh to do a special kind of meet and greet uh, talk at the uh, Heinz Hall. So uh, we wanted to talk to Sig and uh, get an idea of what's going to happen at that event. So that is at the very end. If you are only a music fan, you're. Uh, I will let you know when that interview is coming on, and you're welcome to drop off and join us next time. And if you want to check it out? We'd be delighted, and don't for, uh, hesitate to give us feedback. If you like it, didn't like it, uh, we'd appreciate knowing. So, before we get into uh, the Thin Lizzy, we're going to play a song from a Pittsburgh guitarist, actually up from the Beaver Falls area. This is a song from Don Moore, and you can find information on him at www.don-moore.com. This is a track he did called "Breathless." A phenomenal guitar player. I, I was really a very very Excited to f- stumble across his website and uh, learn a little bit more about him. We're going to try to get him on the show as time permits in the upcoming weeks and months. So, Don Moore, check out his website. And then we're going to get into a song from Thin Lizzy. <laughs>
3: Warwick. How are you doing today, Ricky? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you?
0: Great.
3: I'm doing real good today. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, if we could, kind of what led up to your joining And Lizzie. Um, You were born and raised in Northern Ireland, is that correct?
0: That's right, yeah.
3: What what kind of music? I mean, you you grew up in the late '60s, if I'm not mistaken. What, uh, what?
0: No, no, I, no, I'm not as old as that. I grew up in the no. late '70s, early '80s.
3: Oh, my I, I apologies, George, you're about the same age I am. What um what was on your musical radar other than I would guess, obviously U2. At the time.
0: Uh, well,
3: you know, there's other bands that come out of Ireland apart from U2.
0: Um, I mean you two are from dublin i'm from belfast and uh you know and i and you two are from southern ireland i'm from northern ireland and uh you know uh, they're two different countries i i grew up in belfast and, and uh i grew up at the height of the troubles and okay. uh, because of that there was not a lot of uh, bands that would come over and play in belfast just because of the situation that was there sure so uh we started to look towards local bands and then when the punk thing happened um, sort of towards the end of the late 70s. We had a really good scene in Belfast. We had some great bands like Stiff Little Fingers and The Undertones, uh, The Defects and The Outcasts. And that really was my first introduction to music. I got into a band called Stiff Little Fingers who um, I went to see when I was 14 years old and they changed my life. They me want to play guitar. Uh, and then I, I discovered Lizzy. Um, you know, became, Lizzie became my favorite band. I have two older sisters and they, uh, they brought home the... Uh, um, the fighting album and Johnny the Fox albums and Jailbreak and all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. and that was it for me. You know, they they became uh, they became the band and, uh, and and that was it. You know, that was really my my introduction to to rock and roll.
3: Yeah, do you think? I mean, growing up in in the political climate uh, of of your youth, do you think that the punk scene that might have been why you were drawn to the punk kind of music in that age? Well, but we had, had nothing, you know, and, and any kind
0: of form of entertainment or escapism was was just, you know, we just added up because, you know, you, the, the city shut down after six o'clock, cause, and I, there was a curfew. You were you were looking over your shoulder everywhere you went, you know. We would just there was no McDonald's, there was no nothing. We never McDonald McDonald's didn't come to New York until like 1992. There was no, you know, Burger Outlets right to go and hang out with your your pals or anywhere like that. It was a course. really strange existence when you were a kid um, growing up there and. uh you know, I, I think any kind of outlet at all, uh, any kind of form of escapism, was just really, really welcomed. You know.
3: Very well. And then you you um started in the new model army as a you were strictly a guitarist in that band.
0: Um, yes, I just played guitar. Yep, that's right.
3: Okay. And then you moved on to the Almighty. Do you want to that's talk right. a little bit about um, because maybe you know in the United States it isn't a name maybe that rings a bell with everyone. You want to talk a little bit about the Almighty and. Um, maybe what kind of music and, and what your role in the band was? Yeah, well, the Almighty was
0: really—I guess it was—you know—I formed the band and I, I started the band in in uh, 1988, and um, I pretty much wrote all the material, and I was singer, singer, guitar player in the band, and we had a lot of success for about 10 years in, in Europe. We had uh, you know 10 top, 10 top 40 singles in the UK. Uh, four top 20 albums, two top five albums. We toured the likes of Iron Maiden, the Ramones, Motorhead, Megadeth, um, you know, Alice in, Alice in Chains. Um, you know, we, we had a really, really, really good career, really good time and, and a lot of success, but we never, unfortunately, did anything really in America.
3: Yeah, I mean, not even the same kind of true truer in Lizzie, I mean, I think a lot of Americans, you know, myself is guilty, and you and I are about the same age. Sure. In Lizzie was the boys are back in to town, and that was sure. I, I think, think it is. was. I
0: think the two big hits in the states were "The Boys Are Back" and, and "Jailbreak." And I think, you know, it's kind of funny because I was kind of talking with Scott about it. They they seem to have, um, you know, every time they, Lizzie would come to tour in the states, something would happen. I think that the night before one of the big tours. Um, Brian Robertson got in a fight and got a, and, and got a bottle in his hand and severed a tendons in his hand, and he cancelled tour. And then Gary Moore left halfway through the Black Rose tour. And we, we, we had similar experiences with the Almighty. We either people got sick or something. With the Every time we seemed to get, you know, get a, like a little foothold or something going on. Something would conspire to, to knock us back, you know. Um, yeah. And it's very frustrating. But that's just one of those things where you can't, you know, there's nothing you can do about it, you know. So uh, we're delighted to be here now and kind yeah. of make up for the lost years and the lost yeah. time, you know.
3: One more question on the Almighty. Is, is that project uh, officially over, or, or might there be a future for that down the road? Well, you know, one thing I've
0: learned in this this crazy business is never say never. Uh, yeah. You know, although we haven't done anything for a while, we're all still good friends. We all still talk, and uh, I think the door's been left open. But, I mean, there's no huge desire there at the minute to, to go and do anything with that band. Everybody's happy doing doing their own thing. But further down the road, who knows? Uh, I can't, you know, I can't say it at the moment. If you ask me now, I'd say no. But, you know, you could ask me again in a year, or two years, and I'd say, hey, you know, yeah, see
3: what happens. Yeah, I mean, as I'm talking to you as being the singer of Thin Lizzy in the United States in the year 2011, yeah, can never say never. Um, well, that's uh, it. You know, well, exactly. You, might, you know, if
0: you told me, you know, two years ago, that'd be the lead singer of Thin Lizzy, I'd have, I'd have probably accused you of being high. Yeah.
3: <laughs> now, how about Circus Diablo? Um, I mean, there's there's a name that I'm probably a little more familiar with. Sure. Can talk about what that was. I think for you know many people missed that, but it was really a good band. Thank you. That was a project
0: that that sort of was put together by myself, uh, Billy Morrison, who plays with Camp Freddy. Also plays guitar with Billy Idol and, mm-hmm. and Billy Duffy from the Cult. Uh, we're just friends. We're buddies. We all live in Los Angeles, and we've all known each other from back back in the UK. And we just went, basically went round to Billy has a, a studio in his house, and we went round there. And recorded a couple of songs. Um, it's purely for for ourselves, you know, just for entertainment. And before we know it, you know, th- th- those that songs, those songs turn into an album. We end up with Matt Sorum playing drums on the album. And uh, next thing we know, there's an album coming out. Next thing, you know, we know there's management involved. Next thing we know, you know, the band, you know, are, they want to go on the road. Uh, but the only problem is that we're all in other bands and we all have other careers. And yeah. uh, I think that you know nobody was really prepared to give up uh, or put on hold what they had going on in their lives to concentrate on on touring the Circus Diablo thing. So unfortunately, it never really got um, as much exposure as it as, as it could have purely because there was no band to go out right. there and, and and tour it. Yeah.
2: which and it is a shame.
0: But you mean you're asking a lot of guys to give up, you know, uh, you know, an income and, and 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 their day jobs with the bands that they're in, and that's that's a big ask, you know.
3: Yeah, I, I, I was listening to an interview on a different show this morning with your, your current base player, Marco Mendoza, and he had a very right. simple story about, you know, sometimes it's hard logistically to get, you know, all the stars to line up. He was talking about a project with Neil Sean, and it was the yeah. exact same scenario. Now, how did you, I guess, you know, the, the, the interesting question, how did you end up on Thin Lizzy's radar? Did you send something to them? Did they seek you out? No, not at all. No,
0: I've known Scott Gorham for a long, long time. Scott was a fan of my my old band, The Almighty, and I put a solo record out in 2003 that was produced by by Joe Elliott of Uh Def Leppard, and Scott um, Scott played guitar on that. So he knows me. He knows what I can sing like. He knows knows me as a person, and... uh, he contacted me just really out of the blue and just said, you know, I'm putting Lizzie back together and, and I really would like you to, to come and sing for the band. And, you know, obviously it took me half a second to say yes. Yeah, uh, And that was really it. It was
3: as simple as that. Now, do you, um, I haven't had, unfortunately, the opportunity to hear you guys live yet, but do you try to, uh, you know, with Phil's obviously got kind of a distinctive voice, I kind of characterize it as sure. sort of a, a Van Morrison of hard rock yeah that's that's a very good point. that's a
0: very good analogy i'd agree with that
3: yeah do you do you try to put his flavor into it or you just do what Ricky does sort of well, you know what
0: it's a yes, yes and no, it's a balancing act um, you know those songs you know everybody knows um Although some people don't, because they seem to be missing, missing most of their brain cells when you talk to them. But, that Phil, yeah. unfortunately, is no longer with us, and he's not coming back. And that's just the cold hard fact of life. Sure. And he's an amazing genius frontman. As far as I'm concerned, he's the greatest frontman that ever lived in rock and roll. And people say to me, "Oh, you know, it's a really hard job that you've got to fill Phil's shoes." I wouldn't even dare dream of trying to stand in those shoes. Because there's one there's one full line and that's it. End the story. All I can do is stand beside them and sing the songs the way that we know and love them. And what I like to say is, I like to say, i like to put all the little Philisms in there, all cool Phil's cool little ad libs and, 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 and sing the songs right. I don't want to change anything. I don't want to mess with the greatness of the songs because, I mean, that's what they are. They're, they're just fantastic. So. It's, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to sing them so people will recognize them straight away. I feel comfortable with them, but at the end of the day, it's Ricky Warwick singing those songs. Yeah. So I think the biggest insult, you know, people go, "Why don't you get? Why didn't Scott get so and so out of out of, um, you know, a tribute band?" The biggest insult you could you could give Phil and his memory is to have some guy, you know, stand up there with an afro an afro haircut on, trying to mimic everything that Phil does because yeah. there's one Phil line it. Let's remember him for how great he was and how brilliant he was, and let's not even think about trying to replace him with a clone. That's yeah. just stupid. You yeah, know? I, I, it's a disservice you. to the man. You know, And it makes me angry because I'm such a Lizzie fan. And I think that, that with, with Scott, when we sat down, he's, he, you know, he realizes that. He says, you know, I want to continue the band, but I want to you know move it forward and, and, and try something new. But obviously we've got to pay a huge homage and a huge respect to the legacy that, that Phil left us with.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it probably doesn't hurt that you have probably one of the biggest fans in Lizzie's band with Vivian Campbell. How did yeah. he get into the fold? I mean, he's obviously got to be extremely busy. Well,
0: you know, again, it was Joe Elliott. You know, um, Scott was over in Joe's house um, working on the, on the reissues, the remasters, and uh, uh, Joe basically said, look, Leopard are off the road for, for the next two years. Um, you know, uh, Vivian Campbell would love to come and play guitar. He knows his stuff inside out. Lizzie are his favorite band, and that's really how that happened.
3: Oh, that's got
0: to be a kind of a really cool thing with you, with your relationship with Joe, and then you've got Vivian. Well, it's great, you know. Vivian and I are both from Belfast, and, and we both, you know, we don't, we never knew each other when we were growing up, but obviously we've got a lot in common. And, and I've been friends with Vivian now um, for you know over ten years, and, and he he's a great guy, and, and you know I always love working with him and hanging out with him, so it's it's great, you know.
3: Well, that's great. Now you guys are, are going to be in the states for just a little while longer, and then what's what's next for things? Well,
0: we're we're busy. We're just a, a short little run here now, and then we're back. Uh, we go back to Europe. We've, we're looking at about 30 festivals over the summer. Uh, a trip to South America, and then um, I believe, and I'm pretty sure, it's going to happen. we're we're due to come back to to the states um, for for a, a proper tour in the fall.
3: Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'd get a little more. Yeah, cause yeah, I know the string of runs are very short, and it kind of um, well. You know, it was just a time factor. Hard. It was just how it all worked out with with us finishing
0: in the UK and Europe, and and the festival season starting over over back in Europe again. So yeah. we we were happy just to try and squeeze in, you know, the eight dates that we had. But we, we'll definitely be back for more. I mean, this is a you know, this is a you know, you know, the band is back. The band is playing again. This isn't like one tour and that's it. You know, we're yeah. this is a long term thing. You know,
3: wonderful. Well, Ricky, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on. Oh, here pleasure, just. man! Absolute pleasure. To
0: you. Thank you.
4: Thanks for having me. REO Speedwagon
2: celebrates the 30th anniversary of the release
4: of their iconic High Infidelity album. September 18th, 7.30 at Tribb Total Media Amphitheater at Station Square. All those legendary hits from High Infidelity
2: and more. Reserved
4: seats are on sale now at all Ticketmaster locations. Ticketmaster.com or by calling
2: 1-800-745-3000. Presented by Drusky Entertainment and Pittsburgh Concert Group. All right, that was Ricky Warwick of Thin Lizzy. The song you heard going into the interview was called Dedication, taken from the 1990 release from Thin Lizzy, sort of a greatest hits package called Dedication. Uh, really, uh, I think, a great, great song. So, without further ado, we're going to get to our very first Iron City Rocks guest, who is also an inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from Akron, Ohio, and formerly of Alice Cooper. This is Neil Smith. We're going to lead into that with uh, probably his most notable track, uh, The Intro to Billion Dollar Babies. Right, with great honor, I welcome from Alice Cooper, Neil Smith. How are you doing today, Neil? I'm doing great today, John. How are you guys doing there? I am doing great. Uh, it's a nice uh, halfway warm day here in the Northeast. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to
4: say, is the snow melted finally there?
2: Yeah, in Pittsburgh. it is. you're up in Connecticut?
4: I'm in Connecticut now, but you know I was born in Akron, not too far from Pittsburgh.
2: Yeah, and that's actually exactly where I was headed. You're, you're not far out of the, you know quote, quote, quote rust belt. Up there, I don't know, uh,
4: I'm right, in the, right in the middle of Rust Belt, right there. Yeah.
2: How how long did you spend growing up in Akron? I know you kind of went out to Arizona after that, but how long did you stay in Akron?
4: So I was I was 15. I was uh, well back in those days. The uh, sophomore year of high school was uh, your first year of high school in in the in the 60s, and, and I left in uh, 1963. And when I moved to Phoenix, it was my um, <clears throat> junior year of high school.
2: Now, uh, when you were in Akron, did you were your parents move for work, or was the decision to uh, you know, I know Akron is pretty much owned by Goodyear. It seems, at least right. from
4: well, I, I mean, actually, my father uh, did work for Goodyear, and uh, but my mother and father were divorced before I was in elementary school. Okay. So, um, so I, I mean, I was, I was, I, you know, I saw him all the time, but we didn't live together. Okay. And when, when my uh, my mother had uh, in in the early sixties. We had some friends who went to the same church that we went to. They went out to Arizona. I guess they used to live there. And they moved back. And my mother went out to visit them. I think it was the summer of uh, 1962. And she fell in love with it. And so she came back and asked my sister and myself. And, and just to, to highlight, my sister is Dennis Dunaway's uh, wife now. Oh, okay. And, uh, and she's my younger sister. But um, my mother asked my sister and myself if we would like to moved to Arizona and I, uh, I, I was, because by that time I had been playing drums for about, uh, three or four years mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the, the West Coast sound, the surf sound was just starting in the, you know, in the, in the, in the 1962, 63 era. So I thought that would be great to go out there and, uh, I had done so much with music in those three or four years. Already with um, junior high school and high school, and mm. marching down the the hill uh, at uh, the Soapbox Derby in Akron. Yeah. Um, in, in marching band and fife and drum bands, and, and uh, so yeah, I I wanted to go out there and see what was happening with the. I love the I always loved the uh, the West from from all the, the cowboy westerns yeah. that and, and, uh, and I had actually been out to California uh, a few years before that and so I, I really love the Southwest a lot.
2: How did the, uh, the Alice Cooper come together then? Was that in well, Arizona?
4: Yeah, it was in Arizona, and uh, actually I had I had gone from the band I played in high school, uh, and in the mid '60s, I graduated in 65, and around that same time period, there was a band in Phoenix called the Spiders that uh, was playing at a, a club called the VIP, P which was which was the biggest rock club in uh, in Arizona at the time and uh, these guys were all high school guys and <clears throat> they were and, and I knew about them obviously um, I, I had uh, I never met them I had gone to see them several times and uh, and I liked them an awful lot thought they were a great band um, and but I uh, uh, then after high school I went to college and um, the the I got into a band in Tempe, Arizona called the Holy Grail, which was like, uh, more of a San Francisco kind of, you know, acid rock band, mm-hmm. you know, blues, fusion rock, and, and, uh, and we ended up, um, going to San Francisco in 1967. But the school year 1966 to 1967, uh, I, uh, the second year of college for me, <clears throat> all of a sudden there were, there were these uh all the guys that were in the and the spiders now that banded the spiders had changed their name to the Naz, and they were going to college with me at the uh, Glendale college in uh, in phoenix and so i uh, i got to uh, we we took a, a lot of art classes together uh vince um was in a, uh, a, a class with me and Glenn buxton the guitar player was and Dennis Dunaway, the bass player was and um they had uh, they had uh, the, as a matter of fact, the drummer I got to know him uh, as well. I, I got to be friends with everybody in the band, as you know, as you know, long hair musicians in Phoenix, Arizona, in the mid '60s, and there weren't a lot of us around. Yeah. No. And uh, so that was that was how I first hooked up with him. And then, of course, when I found out that Glenn was from Akron, and that Glenn found out that I was from Akron, we became very good friends. And you know, the two the two blonde long hairs from Akron, Ohio, and uh, so I started hanging out with them, and even when they traveled around Arizona to Tucson and different places, I would uh, I, I would hang out with Glenn, and I'd go down there and, and uh, uh, just you know just for fun to be around him. And I got to know him really well, and and they were buddies of mine. And and uh, and then I was in the other band, the Holy Grail, and you know they went to Los Angeles in the summer of love, 1967. And my band, the Holy Grail, uh, went to San Francisco, and the Naz went to L.A. Okay. So that's how we got
2: to know each other. So you all got to know each other. And then, kind of, how do, how did this all, you know, this kind of perfect storm, you know, the look, the the sound all kind of morph into what we know as, you know, Pretties for You and Easy Action and things like that. How did that kind of develop from there? I mean, because you guys well, were but, certainly not the norm in 1967,
4: <clears throat> 1968. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the norm, but I mean, there was a lot of, um, our band you know, from 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 art school, and of course we, we were all you know musically, we were all we all came from sort of cut from the same cloth because the the British invasion was just so dynamic and, and so present in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, which which seems to be a little strange, but Phoenix was actually a test area for um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the bands that came over from from the UK. And, and so we were really lucky to be right in the middle of it. We didn't know it at the time, but all this brand-new music was being played, and, and it was influencing everybody that was a musician at the time. And um, so the, the, uh, uh, the band that I was in at, at the end of the school year, 1967, this was right around Monterey when Jimi Hendrix made his big break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was in San Francisco. They, everybody came back and was telling me about Jimi Hendrix, and I just couldn't believe it. I, I bought the album. I, it was amazing. Anyway, my band broke up. The Holy Grail broke up, and I ended up um, going back to Phoenix. And so I was there. The guys in the NAS, my buddies, uh, came back from from uh, from Los Angeles because uh, they would just, you know go back and forth. They had a house there, but they'd come back and forth to 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 their parents' home in Phoenix. And we would go out in the desert and you know drink some beer. And, and uh, they had. Uh, some areas, pavilions that had electricity. We'd take an amp out, a couple of guitars, some drums, and um, some inspiration, uh, I'll, as I'll put it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
4: uh, Dennis, Dennis and Michael and Glenn and I started to, to, to jam, the four of us. Right. Um, and and uh, a, a lot of that, because at that time, we were very much into the early Pink Floyd, but even more than Pink Floyd, Piper, The Gates of Dawn, uh, their first album was Sid Barrett. Uh, we were very much into Stockhausen and into um, electronic music that was just just starting to be discovered. It had been played for for, for several years, but um, nobody was really buying it or listening to it. So we we had you know just always looking for something on the cutting edge. It was new and different. We started listening to all this music, and, uh, and the thing that. Drew me to the guys was the fact that, you know they wrote all their own material and by that time I was I was writing a couple songs as well so um, by the end of the summer I uh, had moved back to Los Angeles I needed a place to stay and they asked uh, me if I wanted to I, mean, I asked them if you know if I if they minded if I hung out with them and uh, they lived in Santa Monica at the time and while while we were living together they uh, uh, their, their drummer went back to Phoenix and they asked me. If I wanted to join a band, and I, I'm going. What you mean? Are you kidding me? with my four best friends, yes, of yeah. course I would. And that's, that so that was how we started. But so the the music all started right at that. They were writing original material. We were being inspired by doing doing different things. From I mean, we're all artists, uh, you know, graphic artists as well as as musically. So uh, it, that that was the beginning of everything. And, and a lot of that feel, a lot of those things. Uh, you know, to get to your, your question, you know, be, became songs, came out of ideas that became songs for Pretty for Easy Action.
2: Okay. And then, the obviously, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, when they think of Alice Cooper, think of the look. I mean, you guys, I mean, was that a, was, was the direction artistically, as far as visually, I should say, was that premeditated or did that just sort of evolve?
4: I I think pretty much Pretty much everything with, with the band evolved. Um the only thing that I knew personally is, you know, I I I liked the, the, the image of the Beatles when they came out mm-hmm. and I thought that they were, you know, pre arranged I never saw hair like that. And then I saw the Stones with Brian Jones. Yeah. And his hair was longer and it was blonder. Yeah. And then and then American bands like um <clears throat> The Seeds and Um Oh, what's the other one that I like so much? I'll thinking a minute. But, um, it started coming out with really, you know, hair way past their shoulders, longer than Brian Jones. Mm. And I'm looking at this, and then, of course, Blue Cheer. And yeah. And I'm going, you know what? I can, my hair can be a lot longer than that, and I'll dress more outrageous <laughs> than that. And, uh, and, and even you go back to some of the early pictures where the, the Naz became Alice Cooper, um, you know, the, the, there was, like, I mean, my style was a lot more flamboyant than than had been the 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 um you know the Nas, sure. but we were we were all going in the same direction at the same time. Yeah. And and Dennis's hair was getting long, Glenn's and Mike's and Alan, everybody's was getting long, and and it wasn't something we really talked about. It was just you know we just we just wanted to do everything bigger and better and crazier than anybody else, and yeah. and 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 at the same time just stand out. And you know back in those days there were you know, fives, if not tens of thousands of bands in Los Angeles, and you know, the Doors were the number one band, so what can we do more outrageous than the Doors? And, and uh, I mean, the, the Doors, of course, they had, you know, hugely successful hit songs, but uh, but there were a lot of groups in L.A. at the time that were, that, that pretty, that were pretty outrageous, but uh, and in, in England, I mean, you know, there were a lot of great English bands and, We liked the Who, and we liked Jimi Hendrix, and we liked their image, and we liked, uh, you know, really the image more than anything else because they were flamboyant, and uh, they were, you know, just just something a little bit special about them, and and uh, and 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 that was very appealing to us. So, you know, we were we were taking it all in, but it was, you know, we we were it was really more manipulated on the music side of it. Creating our music and in our direction, in our theatrics. Our theatrics sometimes were kind of hit and miss, but but uh, the music was always folks. We spent every single day writing and and and, um, uh, and, and practicing our music every yeah. day.
2: Yeah, and, and it shows. I mean, if you look at, I mean, even to this day, an Alice Cooper set list is is got to be still predominantly music of that era. I mean. You know well, you go I mean, back there wouldn't be
4: an Alice cooper setless if we wouldn't have had those songs
2: so, yeah amen. You
4: know, on on his on his you know on his uh, on his solo tours sure so um, so uh and the progression of the music uh changed obviously from easy action to love it to death and that was a there was a whole reason for that too mm. and and uh, uh but we can talk about that whenever you like
2: yeah well the uh the, the question i had i mean the the, uh, the direction of the music, you know, through Love It to Death, Killers, School's Out, etc. Um, you guys had enormous success. Um, but, and I don't want to even, I mean, this sounds kind of funny to say now, but Muscle of Love obviously didn't live up sales-wise to Billion Dollar Babies. Is that kind of what drove the wedge that, they, I don't even want to say wedge, but kind of what ended up kind of disintegrating the band? Was, no, it
4: was, no, that, the, the albums had nothing to do with it. First of all, the 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 album sold muscle of love and I have to always re- have everybody remember it sold eight hundred and fifty thousand copies out of the shoot mm-hmm. and and you know by anybody's standards um, billion dollar babies sold a million copies out of the shoot so right. you know so we were one hundred and fifty a thousand less and part of that was that the stupid uh, record stores back in the day were so goddamn dumb they thought that there was uh, there was a stain on the box on the um, uh, <laughs> on the uh, you know on the muscle of love package itself, they thought that that was a mistake and they sent they, they sent them back by the tens of thousands and then the other thing was that because that package was so thick yeah. that you couldn't get if you could get you know twenty five albums in a in a normal box you could only get twenty in the box with this with that bigger package in it so you know there were logistic reasons that that occurred also but um you know anybody can i, I it was never true that that album. Was the was the reason uh, that it, that uh, the, the band stopped? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there were there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of things going on at the time that that's talked about, but um, uh, the, the real reason <clears throat> was because there were there were um, you know there were some inside issues. I mean, Glenn had, had had problems for quite a while and hadn't contributed on the last two albums. Yeah, and that was a that was a never-ending issue. Uh, Michael wanted to do a solo album, which drove me to do one and gave Alice the opportunity to do one. Mm-hmm. And our deal was that we would we would record an album. If somebody was able to tour with it and support it, that's fine. But a year later, we were going to do our our ninth, our next album. We all agreed to it. We, you know, we, uh, you know, we had we had we were making millions of dollars. There's nobody that wanted to walk away from that. And sure. When uh, when some members of the band say that there were differences, what differences? We we were all finally. You know, we were rich, and we were on the threshold of becoming very wealthy, mm-hmm. and nobody would walk away from that that was, that was in their right mind. So Alice reneged on coming back together and doing the next album. He just said no. That's all there was to it. It's pure and simple. That's all there was to it. We all love theatrics. I mean, look at what Dennis and Mike and I did with, with the Battle Axe album. We spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of our own money developing an incredible stage show. So was anybody ever says anything about that we were the theatrics, Look at the Battle Axe show that we did. My God, mm. it, it was fantastic, and it was expensive, and it was extravagant. So that just doesn't hold water. But, um, but like I said, there were there were other things, and and that was a long time ago. Oh yes. And, uh, and But you know, and and everybody has their own opinion, their own uh, thoughts about that. But my uh, my opinion was that we had had a we had, had a great run, created a great uh, new. Uh, sound and, and, and music, and what we're doing theatrically, even as importantly. And I thought that uh, that you know I'd rather stop at the top of our game when we were you know uh, we had um, schools I went to number two and Billion Dollar Babies went to number one. I'm not quite sure of the chart position on Muscle of Love, but but you know I'd rather rather go out at the top. Uh, you know we were, our shows that we were playing were bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then, and, you know, running it into the ground for the next 10 years and being, you know, having, uh, yeah. having the guillotine in a, in a bar, getting <laughs> yeah. Alice's head off, you know.
2: Yeah, you, 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 uh, managed to ride the wave to the height and not have to go out and, uh, be, officially washed up, which is, which I think yeah. sometimes a lot of bands need to learn when to maybe to say when. Um, oh, obviously, there's been a lot of, of kind of, reuniting of, of the troops with the uh, Rock and roll Hall of Fame uh, inducting you all earlier this year um, do you want to talk a little bit about that experience what it was like
4: well it was uh, it was a uh, it was a phenomenal experience the the actual induction and and uh, I think I got excited about it um, because as as most of the fans know we've been eligible for sixteen years and and we were uh, obviously passed over and but what I was most excited when we were finally nominated, and and I uh, realized that if we were ever going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, the first nomination would be the the, the most exciting, mm-hmm. because there, there had been bands that had been nominated, you know, numerous times, and uh, I, and I, all you have to do is go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website, and they'll tell you how many times the bands were nominated before they finally made it. Mm-hmm. But the bands that were nominated one time. And got into like the Who's Who of Rock and Roll. And, sure. And, and, uh, you know, Elvis, The Stones, The Beatles, um, uh, you know, all the, all, all the big, big time rock and roll names. So, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Cream. So when, when we got in there under the, in, in that same category with that, with that group, that was just, that's when it got exciting for me because I said, this is not only historical and, being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which, by the way, because it's in Cleveland, Ohio, is kind of a thrill for me too.
2: Yeah, all your uh, relatives but, and I, stuff can come down and.
4: Yeah, and I sh- and I, I was born 30 miles south of Cleveland in Medina, Ohio, so mm-hmm. it's it's just uh, it's just amazing that um, you know the way everything's turned out. I've done a couple of interviews with the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and uh, there's been some write-ups in the Akron Beacon Journal, so they have you know they they have taken notice, and 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 I'm, I'm especially happy for. For Glenn too. I mean, he's no longer with us, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm sure somewhere he knows what's going on. And, and he, since he was really the nucleus of the band, he started the band. He was, you know, he taught basically, uh, um, you know, Dennis how to play bass guitar uh, initially, and and uh, get everybody excited about music. And so it was, um, you know, it, it was a it was a it was a real honor. And especially I'm I'm the most happy for the fans because sure. it really is all about the fans and. And all the people that were thanking everybody up there, thanking management and and uh, different people in their lives and the husbands and wives, those are all incredibly important things. But none of us would have been standing on that stage without fans. Yeah, and man, that's a and, and I know that, and 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 I and I know that they've been trying for years with petitions and everything. And the petitions, even though they don't mean a thing, they meant an awful lot to to Alice and me yeah. and, and Mike and Dennis and Glenn. I mean just the fact that people were were trying fans were trying and and uh so i'm I'm especially happy for them and yeah. I think it's great
2: now i'm um talking about kind of going forward you have a, a website neilsmith.com um which is yeah
4: and it's also the, the subsidiary is neilsmithrocks.com okay that's my that's, that's the brand new one yeah.
2: okay and that also which i'd like
4: to have in there because that's the
2: yes, that's ma- the site
4: that's totally dedicated to the rock and if you go into neilsmith.com that, that'll take you in there but you can go just neilsmithrocks and that that skills right that's all one word
2: so. okay um there's been a, a, a little bit of talk about welcome to my nightmare too um are you have you been approached about participating in that project at all
4: we've we've already uh, uh, Dennis and Mike and I have already uh, done a cameo on three songs on the okay. uh, on the album okay so, that's good. so there will be there will be three songs as a matter of fact um, uh, in each one of us uh, Dennis co-wrote one of the songs I co-wrote one of the songs and Michael co-wrote one of the songs yeah uh-huh. so um, we're all you know these these are songs that um, uh, that the three of us uh, have initiated the writing on that and then all three of us also played on it. So, Excellent. so I, I know the fans will be excited about that, and I just would hope that it would maybe lead to a to a full, complete album down the line. My, my, uh, because I've been working on my Killsmith, Smith, Neil Smith, mm-hmm. Killsmith um, project, and my second album, I'm, I'm just almost uh, finished with it. I'm mastering it right now, so I'm very excited about that, and uh, it's actually one of the songs. On, on that album that uh, inspired Alice and Bob Ezrin, and, and uh, they they uh, collaborated on uh, taking the vibe in a different direction, and, mm-hmm. and that that was one of the songs that became the new album. So I'm I'm real happy about that. But uh, again, most happy about the fact that that all uh, all four of us together with Bob Ezrin and, and Shep, our manager, all together and that's
2: been the the, the greatest Yeah, thing. that's got to be a you know kind of a, a really nice homecoming, you know, all these years later to to get back in the same room and do that. Um your new album will that be available on your website neilsmithrocks.com? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay.
4: I think it's already mentioned that uh right now the tentative name is Killsmith 2, but I'm I probably will uh, it could be that I, I may I come up with I like to use titles from the songs. I have t- 12 tracks for it like I said we're mastering them right now and mm-hmm. and um hopefully they'll you know it'll before the summer they'll it'll be available.
2: All right, great. So we'll have two chances to get material from you with the Kill Smith and also with the, the next Alice Cooper record. And that's wonderful to hear, Neil. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us.
4: Oh, uh, well, my my pleasure. And uh, you know, I I love that part of the country. That's that's my roots and um you know I I uh I, it, it's always an inspiration for me when uh, when the the uh the natives of the of the of the the, the lakes and the rust belt uh, oh, yeah. you know when 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 uh, they, they appreciate what uh, what what I've done over the years it's great.
2: Yeah, it is and hopefully we'll get to see you doing some shows in the region uh before too long. I'd love to. All right, thank you.
4: All right, John, you're very welcome. Have a great day, okay. all right?
2: Alright, and there you have Neil Smith of Alice Cooper fame, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. I want to congratulate him as well as the rest of Alice Cooper on the well-deserved induction. and Hopefully this will lead to more bands of that genre. Uh, for example, Kiss and Judas Priest and a lot of other great bands that have been kind of overlooked uh, from the hard rock era getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So... We would like to invite you to check out our website, www.ironcityrocks.com. You can find a concert calendar, which is uh, pretty comprehensive for the area. We also invite you to check out the podcast page, which has links to all of the episodes, all 100 that preceded this one. Also on the contest link, there are three giveaways right now. We've got tickets to see the monkeys at club, or I'm sorry, stage AE. I take that back. I apologize. That is stage AE, an outdoor show. Also, social distortion one of my all-time favorites password for the social distortion contest is ness n-e-s-s and the big one we've got tickets to see motley crew poison and the new york dolls the password for that is livewire. wire uh, those will be uh drawn in the weeks and uh, months ahead to see those shows are those are all at stage ae we invite you to check out uh, the facility get down there to see a show and help support uh a really uh, nice resurgence of music on the North Shore. Uh, Pittsburgh's always had a really great uh, concert scene, and it's uh, good to see some shows coming in that venue as well. So we can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and if you're still an old-school MySpace user, we're there as well. Uh, You can find links to those all on our page. So that ends the music portion of this episode. If you are a music fan only, good time to turn it off. But I would like to welcome to the show from the deadliest catch... Captain Sig Hansen. Again, Sig Hansen, Jonathan, and Andy Hillstrand will be coming to Heinz Hall in Pittsburgh on May seventh. That's a Saturday night. Tickets available at the Pittsburgh Symphony website, which I believe is Pittsburgh dot org. You can get your tickets there. Uh gonna be kind of a cool show, it looks like, for those of you who have ever watched the show. It's a chance to, you know, for some people out of the audience to ask some questions of the guys. Maybe get a couple autographs, get to try on one of the survival suits. So if you are a fan of the show, and I know there are millions of fans of that show worldwide, myself included, it uh, looks like a pretty cool way to spend a Saturday night. So again, uh, org, Get yourself some tickets. And without further ado, Captain Sig Hansen. Talk to you next time. The Bering Sea's toughest crew is coming to Pittsburgh, and you're wanted on board. You know, we need to get squared away, get on some crap, now. Saturday, May 7th, don't miss an evening with Captain Sig and the Hillstrand Brothers from Deadliest Catch, live at the Heinz Hall.
0: What I want out of you is a little cooperation.
2: Hear the story straight from the captains themselves. Tickets on sale now at pittsburghsymphony.org or 412-392-4900. Captain Sig and the Hillstrand Brothers from Deadliest Catch, May 7th at Heinz Hall. Ladies and gentlemen, on the show, joining us from the deadliest catch, Captain Sig Hansen. How are you today, Sig? I'm good, thanks. Great. Hey, you guys are coming into Pittsburgh on uh, May 7th, uh, Saturday night. You're going to be uh, doing a show at Heinz Hall, you and uh, Jonathan and Andy Hillstrand. Can you just give us a little background on what that event's all about?
4: Well, you know, we it's a beat and greet
1: for the fans, and a lot of the guys that watch that show, they're pretty hard so. Most of the fans kind of want an inside scoop of what's going on, how it's filmed and whatnot, and, and we don't mind talking about that. Uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions on the show, and we like to get around and and uh, answer any questions to to any of the fans that, that are curious. You know, we also interact with the audience a little bit and have some fun, you know, a little competition here and there. And then we uh, show some footage, never-before-seen footage, and also, uh, you know, some pictures that... Uh, personal pictures for us and, mm-hmm. and talk about our, our past and what's going on in the future and, and just have a good time with the with the fans.
2: Yeah, it looked like uh, from the pictures it looked like you had some uh, people from the audience getting the survival suits on and stuff like that, so it looked like it was going to be a real good time. Um, can I to ask you a couple of questions I had uh, you mentioned about your background? You've got a pretty long line of fishing in your family. How far back in the, the Hanson family does fishing go? Do you have any idea?
1: <laughs> I know it goes four generations, you know. So hmm. that, that, that I know for sure. Um, <laughs> even in my in my wife's family, it goes back generations, and she's actually from the same fishing village that my folks are from. So,
2: oh, okay, over in Norway. Uh,
1: really uh, tight knit uh, community, you know. And I mean, back then, it's you either fish or or you tried to you farm, and that was it. Hmm. You know, they really didn't have a lot a lot else to do.
2: Yeah, I actually I'm just finishing up uh Jonathan and Andy's book and they they talk a little bit about the stress that that puts on your wife. Um does your I mean do you think that helped? I mean you you've been married for a little while now. I mean does that help do you think her dealing with you being away so long?
1: Of course. Yeah, you know, I mean that's the thing. Her old man was uh, a fisherman uh, in Norway as well. So it's it's uh you, you know, you 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 kind of you grow up into this industry, mm-hmm. and so for me, it just makes it a lot easier to be with a woman like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she's not one of those types that would worry too much about if you're gone too long and this and that, and you yeah. know, complain about it because we're we're used to it, kind of uh, growing up that way. And I, I imagine, like a military family, would know what I'm talking about. Yeah, or, you know, something of that nature, where where your old man's always gone, and and it's difficult, but it's. That's just a way of life, you know. You you become used to that.
2: Do you think, uh, I mean, I I wonder, you know, just knowing some military veterans and stuff, do you find yourself almost in the way when you do come home? Yeah, because she's well, so hey, yeah, you sort of, try to, you try to come in and be the captain and you're kind of in her territory at that point.
1: Yeah, no, you don't want to, you want to tread real softly when you do that. I, I learned my lesson there. You don't do that. <laughs> <Certainly>. <laughs> you know, and no. that's, that's the whole captain thing. You know? And that's one thing about this show is, like, people get to see the other side of you know, uh, us on a personal level and their personalities. It's like, uh, you know, people have an image, well, this guy's a captain, or, you know, the crew members are just like this all the time, and and that's not the case, you know. You come home and you got to get back to a different reality, you know. Mm-hmm. Once you get on that boat, the gloves are off, and it's all competition, but but uh it's like you're living a double life
2: you know yeah yeah i have to admit i mean watching the show i've been watching the show since it 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 originated and uh you know you always look like a great guy but i bet you're a tough sob to work for just you know looking at uh you with the crew um is a lot of that creative editing or i mean do they try to portray you guys in a certain light
1: no, I, you know, what they do as far as editing really is they've they got to take like four months and they've got to condense that into like 20-some-odd hours. Mm-hmm. So that's the only creative editing, you know. That, and they're not going to sit there and put a bunch of boring stuff on TV, let's sure. face it. But they'll, they'll, they'll follow a story, you know. If something happens, let's say a trip or two into, into the season, they'll, if there's a story that's kind of looking like they can follow along, they'll, they'll follow that beat. And then they'll work around that and, and to make it interesting and, and real, you know, and, and that's kind of what they do. They just, they're there They pick up on things and, and then after they find something to follow along, then then that's it. That's what they're going to do. And mm-hmm. as far as the way we, you know, act on the boat is uh, the same as if they were there or not. I mean, it's it's kind of, it's just the way it is on a boat, you know. Yeah. It's kind of funny, my wife and I were going to the airport and this lady, uh, you know, she went to this concession stand. This lady comes up with, "You know, is your husband always a, a an ass?" <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, it's like you got your job and then you got your home, and there's two different things. But
2: oh yeah, I don't
1: know. I guess people find that 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 occupation a little bit rough around the edges, so to speak.
2: Well, I, I think if anybody set up a camera next to somebody who they're working for four months. And and really took a look at. I don't think anybody comes off all that happy uh, at work. I mean, that's you're there to make you money. Get,
1: yeah, and you get tired of the camera guy too. You know that does. Oh, help yeah. Does kind of amplify things a little because you know you don't have your privacy all the time. So that's a tough one to swallow. Certainly. But, you know, I mean, I'm not complaining. We we chose it, so that's
4: okay. Sure. But, um, but who knew.
2: Yeah. Did Did you expect? I mean, you were you were involved with the show, obviously from season one, and you've been a technical consultant to the show. Did you? Are you surprised at the success the show's had?
1: Well, hell yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when we first did it, we thought it would just be this, what, six part series, and mm-hmm. and kind of a neat tribute to our family and industry, and, yeah. and call it good. And, and sucker just keeps snowballing. So, and that's real flattering and all, but uh, it's just one of those things you never really thought would happen you
2: know yeah you don't expect it to be made into a video game and and things like that i mean that's kind of a is that is that an unwanted side effect do you do you find it i mean obviously it's good in a way financially and 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 things like that but is it something you would have chosen for yourself had you known
1: what what do you mean as far as oh the 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 The, the the,
2: fame and 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 fame of the
1: show i don't know if i would have chose the fame you know i mean i there's a lot of stuff that we try to capitalize on, and, and being a fisherman, you're always looking for the bigger, better, better spot, the better pot, oh, sure. you know, all that stuff, and that's just the nature of the beast, you know, so that's fun for me to use my mind in different ways. I mean, we've done, you know, we've got a beer and tartar sauce and fish sticks and a book and mm-hmm. you, you name it, and that's fun. Yeah. Um, of course, fishing is still, you know, our core occupation, and that's what it's going to be, and but... But as far as the whole fame thing, that that one, I'd have to flip a coin because it's not always, you know, like like when I look at uh, the TV and I see these guys getting mauled by these paparazzi, I'm thinking, man, that must be tough, you know. And and just going to a supermarket and you get a few people kind of jumping on you, it, it's a weird feeling for you know yeah. for a guy that didn't really aspire to be that, put it that way.
2: Yeah. Do you find a a lot of like kind of boneheaded guys coming up to Alaska that think they're going to become TV stars now?
1: There's a few guys that want to do it just to get on the the TV and that's for the wrong reason. You know, there's a lot of guys that are going up there looking for work legitimately and that's Mm -hmm. great, you know. Yeah. Um, So we encourage that, but uh, um, a lot of guys find out it's not what they wanted after all. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, we've grown up into this, so it's 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 not that hard. If you don't know any better, then it's not as tough as you might think.
2: Yeah, I have to admit, from, from a from a guy from Pittsburgh, it looks like you leave it to the experts. You guys know what you're doing. Um, yeah, okay, you leave it to the Demi's. Now, one of the questions I had, you know, and obviously they they edit the show into to, to episodes, and kind of half the season is King and half is Opie. How long are those seasons actually in duration?
1: Well, usually for king crab, we'll go up there in October and fish October through November, sometimes in the first part of December, okay. depending on the size of the quota. Quotas. Excuse me, or depending on, you know, if the crab are, are, are catchable. Sometimes mm-hmm. they just kind of hunker down and it takes a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, opies, you know, that's, that quota's gone up and down so much, you know, it's very cyclical. I mean, we've fished opies from January through July at times, January okay. to June, um, these days, January, February, March, that's about the, the range that we've been averaging. Okay. Um, yeah, so it just depends on the quota and how fast you can pick the crab up and get done.
2: Now, obviously with, with the quotas, you're, you're not allowed to exceed that quota or you can get other people's leases, but is there a big penalty for coming under your quota?
4: No,
1: no, okay. you just lose the money. You the just lose table. the money
2: that you would have made otherwise. Okay. And do you still do other types of fishing? Do you salmon fish and cod and things like that in the other parts of the year?
1: Oh, yeah. We keep the boat busy. Uh, during the summer, we do what's called a salmon charter. It's like a big okay. fish taxi. We run the fish around. And okay. Then uh, that's about two, three months. You know. And then, and then September, we'd like to try to do cod fish if the price is good. So we'll fish uh, cod with our crab pods. We'll just... Yeah, uh, we we redo the tunnels and and so they they turn into a fish pot. Okay. And we'll go and do that. You know, if the price is there, if we can, if the timing works. So, mm-hmm. we'll try to keep the boat busy anywhere from six to nine months. You know, these days, uh, before when we were younger and the seasons were longer, we'd fish crab pretty much eight to eleven months out of the year, steady, and mm-hmm. uh, you know just keep the boat going.
2: Sure. Now, have the um, do you do you look at the quotas as kind of a blessing or a curse?
1: Well, I think they for us, they did a lot of good things. A lot of guys lost work and their jobs. Yeah. You know, that's the flip side. Uh, the guys that stayed in, the positive side is that, you know, you can stop if you have to. You know, the derby's not there. The time restraints aren't as bad. Yeah. So, you know, if it's going to blow 70, 80, 90 and you're scratching you're your head going, okay, well, now I can stop if I have to, which yeah. is a, a blessing. Yeah. You couldn't do that before. You just had to go go and a lot of guys got hurt or killed because of it
2: yeah yeah so it was was the, the quota system basically put in as a safety mechanism or was it more of a conservation you know kind of thing
1: it, it was safety first and then of course conservation and, and political yeah. <laughs> it was very political
4: yeah. uh,
1: a lot of big money is in there because of that you know we've got a lot of uh uh owners and and the processing plants and and a lot of invested uh companies but uh for the the most part it was the safety card that brought it through
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i know that was kind of the show don't you yeah yeah like i said i'm actually uh i i'm just finishing up i had gotten uh just recently got your book and jonathan and andy's book and i i kind of rolled the dice and, and started on theirs first and uh you know, so I'm going to be reading your book all the way up to the the show airs begins. What April 12th is that?
1: I think so,
2: yeah. Yeah, somewhere We're around there. are
1: getting coming after some questions, man. It's fun.
2: Yeah, it. Uh, I I I really it find it very fascinating to watch the show. I don't know why. I mean, it's like I said, I'm a guy who grew up nowhere near the ocean, but uh, I think that's kind of the appeal. I mean, a lot of people just find it's like, wow, this is really a fascinating line of work, and then you've got such interesting and genuine people. You know, on the
1: yeah, show, I think people can kind of. I think the work ethic kind of shows through, and I think you know, the uh, American people are all about the work ethic, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's the, the, the commonality or, or whatever's going on. But and it's real flattering, like I said, and and uh, people dig it, you know, and they yeah. don't mind talking about it. It's fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. Trust
1: me, it's, it's not going to be some kind of Charlie Cheen gig where you ask for <laughs> your money back.
2: Yeah, no one's going to be booing you, hopefully, at the end of the night. So um, one, one other question, and I'll let you go. Um, a little while back, there was some talk of you and uh, Dancing with the Stars. Is that still in the cards, or have you given up on that dream?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't exactly call it a dream, but you know, these a uh, couple of reporters asked me, what do you watch on TV? And I said, yeah, I'll watch that with my wife at home. And then the thing just kind of snowballed there too. And then Leno heard about it. He got on a rampage to get me on there. And I wouldn't mind doing it. I think it'd be a kick because the last few years, granted, we've got a lot of neat things happening because of that program. I'll give it that. And uh, that would be one of them. You know, it'd be like, all right, check it off the list type of thing. But I'm not going to give up fishing season to do it. So if I ever was asked to do it, I would. It would have to be like you know this in the in the March. Yeah, When uh, when we're back from Opie fishing, I couldn't do it during our king crab season. So,
2: yeah, I can you know, that's,
1: that's just the way it is. If the diving works great, if it doesn't, so be it.
2: Yeah, I imagine you could probably take a, some flack from the other guys if you missed a season. To no, dive. I just Answership. wouldn't do it,
1: man. I'm not going to give up my – it, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, I run the boat. That's my boat. That's yeah. my responsibility. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's stay true to your roots. All right, well, again, you're coming into Heinz Hall on the 7th of May with uh, Jonathan and Andy Hillstrand. Uh, Like you said, you're going to be doing some video clips and having some fun with the audience that night. So we are looking very much forward to seeing you guys that night. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Oh, yeah, man. It's
1: going to be fun. We're looking forward to it.